This is an ABC podcast. When I was in hospital in the heart ward way back in the 1980s, I got a little bored. So I and another mischievous patient used to, um, well, borrow a couple of white coats and do a ward round announcing we were imminent doctors. We prescribed red wine for everybody and cheered up all concerned. Yes, it was obvious we weren't really doctors and the nurses enjoyed every moment. However, one day we came to the fire escape and there, standing outside, lurking really, were a couple of older patients smoking. One we knew had just had open heart surgery. Smoking, we cried. You must be bonkers. One admitted he'd been told a few more weeks puffing away and he'd be dead, but he couldn't stop. We tried to talk sense to them but got nowhere, and so we stopped playing doctors and returned our white coats. Rosie Nash is used to these dilemmas, trying to treat people who won't act for their own good, and she starts with youngsters, long before they risk becoming patients. And here she's speaking of the Occam's Razor event in Hobart. So like a lot of women, I have two careers, and both of them have fed into a project that is about to go from Tassie to the world stage, hopefully changing lives along the way. My first career is as a pharmacist, and while I was working in the hospital, I would occasionally meet a middle-aged man just after he'd had major heart surgery. Some of these guys had just had all of their four pipes plumbed, and they were keen to get home. Not so they could change their diet or activity. Not so they could rest and recover. No. So they could take off their nicotine patch and have a smoke. Now I work in health literacy, where the goal is to help everyone to better understand the things that affect their health. And health literacy is non-judgmental. And I'm not judging, but I couldn't help thinking, why? Why are we spending all of this money on heart surgery when really it is too late for some. Okay, that does sound a bit judgy. <laughs> what I really mean is, why don't we do more, spend more on prevention when people are younger before it's too late? And that question has only been amplified by my other career. I'm also a mum of two beautiful children, Maddie and Thomas. Early on in my mum career, it became apparent that my kids were benefiting from having two health-conscious parents who were fluent in health vocabulary. Ever since Maddie and Tom were little, we've role-modelled a healthy lifestyle for them, most of the time anyway. It got me thinking, my kids are getting an advantage, but what could be done for the other kids so they could benefit from learning about their health, even if their own parents weren't engaging or interested in the topic? In other words, how can we prevent our next generation of Tasmanian children becoming adults who suffer heart attacks needing major surgery? Because right now, Tasmanians have the lowest levels of health literacy and some of the worst health outcomes in our country. And after talking with my friend and colleague, Dr Shandell Elmer, about the idea, Health Lit for Kids was born. Our program involves helping primary schools and their communities to give all our kids the advantage of knowing more about healthy living. It's literally health lit for kids and it's fun. It started with a single pilot primary school 
where we refined and tested our program. Since then, with the generous funds from the Tasmanian Community Fund, we have modified and run the program in four more primary schools across Tasmania, from Burnie to New Norfolk. And it became really clear each school was unique with their own health and wellbeing priorities. So this would not be some one-size-fits-all prospect. So at each school, we start off by meeting with the school community, the principal, teachers, parents, and the children. And we use their local wisdom to develop their own school-wide Health Lit for Kids action plan. We listen and they use our tools to identify the issues that they need us to help them to focus on. Things like anxiety, smoking, yes, smoking in primary school, nutrition and physical inactivity. Once the school's action plan was designed, teachers create lesson plans focused on health issues relevant to their class and children. And we've seen everything from classic kinder cut and paste to high tech coding. Health Lit for Kids only had three rules. One, the teachers had to follow the Australian curriculum. Two, the unit of learning had to develop health literacy skills. And three, the work had to include the creation of something that could be shared with others. It could be a poem, it could be a model, garden bed, podcast, collage, anything really. We call these creations artefacts and they are at the heart of the successes we've seen. When I first thought about Health Lit for Kids, I was mostly focused on the long-term health benefits. But did you know that health literacy affects how well our children do at school? As one of our teachers at our first Health Lit for Kids workshop said, oh, I get it now. In order to be numerate and literate, they have to be functioning. So with this in mind, at one of our schools, the early years teachers worked together on food and nutrition, starting with the school lunchbox. To kick things off, the teachers read the storybook Eat a Rainbow to the kinder, prep, year one and two classes. Then they painted a huge cardboard rainbow and they cut it into four wedges, one for each of the classes. For the next six weeks, each time a child ate a piece of fruit or veg at school, they could glue one coloured patty case on the matching section of the rainbow. So a yellow patty case for eating a banana, an orange patty case for carrot sticks. Motivated by the thought of adding that patty case to the rainbow segment, the children started to bring in and eat more fruit and veg every day. And the teachers, they noticed that because they were filling up on more fruit and veg, their packaged snacks were going home in their lunch boxes, uneaten. As most parents listening would know, usually it's the other way around. So another school focused on physical activity, and they went pretty high tech. Grade three children there used Fitbits, which they made and coded themselves. Grade three! They each designed a personal activity pyramid too. At the base of the pyramid were the activities they would do most. So, walking the dog, riding their bike. At the peak of the pyramid, they included the activities that the children thought that they should do least. So in Emmy's case, this was playing on her iPad. The best bit? If you scan that QR code on the corner of Emmy's activity pyramid, you can see her coding and also how physically active Emmy had been in that last month. Captured 
by that Fitbit that she'd actually made herself. So this last one is my very favourite, the Carton of Calm. One teacher recognised that a number of her Grade 3 students were suffering from anxiety. Each child was given an egg carton and 12 strips of paper. They wrote down 12 calming statements. For example, I'm going to lie on my bed and listen to my music. Each strip was then rolled up and placed into the 12 holes in that egg carton. Once completed, the Carton of Calm offered each child a set of personally designed solutions to draw on when they were not feeling so calm. Each of our schools decided to have an expo at the end of the year so that the children could share their artefacts with their families and the local community. The artefacts provided the children with a voice. It helped them to start conversations about their health and the health of others. And at one of our schools, the teachers couldn't believe how many parents turned up to the expo. They had been bringing out extra seating all afternoon. They'd never seen the parents so engaged. Our teachers also described the development of a new health vocabulary and overheard the children initiating their own conversations about health in the classroom as well as in the playground. So you might be thinking, oh well, it's all very well and good to educate the children, but if the parents aren't interested or won't engage, then we still come to school and with their junk, the junk in their lunchboxes, won't they? Well, I disagree. And I think when provided with the opportunity to express themselves with an age-appropriate voice, like the artefacts, our children can use their pester power for good. <laughs> like the grade three girl who used her newfound skills in reading food labels to challenge her mum about how much salt and sugar was in that cereal she was about to buy. What about Jane? Jane, who saw her mum getting really stressed. They were rushing out the door one morning and she suggested, perhaps mum, you might benefit from waking one of those cartons of calm too. <laughs> and because Health Lit for Kids is a whole of school program, it is really hard for a disengaged parent to escape it. So my answer to the critics, children can influence their parents' choices if empowered with the asset of health literacy. So how's it all going now then, I hear you ask? Well, normally with a pilot project like this, you sort of publish a paper or two, you might try and get it into some more schools or some other states. Well, we'd love that to happen too. And I'm hoping the Minister for Education and Health are both listening right now. But we've been very busy because Health Lit for Kids has gone from a local pilot project here in Tasmania to the World Health Organisation. So after presenting at an international health promotion conference in New Zealand and some very helpful follow-up networking, it's been confirmed that Health Lit for Kids will be a World Health Organisation demonstration program. That means that we're going to share our program and our data with the rest of the world. And I think it's really cool that a Tassie project like Health Lit for Kids could be adopted in schools around the world. And hopefully, down the track, we'll have fewer patients keen to get home from hospital for a ciggy because they won't have needed that heart surgery in the first place. Thank you. International recognition, that's the way. Get the kids to stop those grown-up recalcitrant smokers 
Dr. Rosie Nash lectures in public health at the University of Tasmania in Hobart, and she's co-founder of Health Lit for Kids. She was speaking at the Occam's Razor live event. May her work go global. I'm Robin Williams. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.